I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters. I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who has been covering beauty, fashion, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, I'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beauty is a Bitch. I'm really kind of excited about this topic today because I know it's one that that eludes many of us in midlife, and that is sleep. So let me introduce our guest. My guest is Dr. Yupendich. He is a MD, board certified, and sleep medicine and neurologist. And uh, he is primarily located in Hickory, North Carolina, with other offices around the globe. He has over 30 years experience and attended medical school at West Virginia University. Finally, he has been named a Castle Conley Regional Top Director. How are you doing today? Good. I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to be on the line, Lauren. <laughs> glad to have you here. Let's, Thank you. Let's talk about sleep or lack thereof, okay? Um, oh, yes. This is a topic that, I mean, this is a subject that I, everybody I know I swear to God, they hit middle age and it's like, I slept like a baby. I used to sleep like a baby. Now I cannot sleep. So what is going on? Why does sleep elude us in midlife? What's happening? It's a loaded yeah, question. Oh yeah. It's a very, <laughs> very, we could probably spend the next few hours on this one. Um, I'll start off by, you know, just saying that sleep is a very important really at all ages. You know, we spend about a third of our, our life sleeping. Mm-hmm. And um, as a as a neurologist and a sleep doctor, I've really come to appreciate sleep as really being what I would essentially call fuel for our brains. And it's not just the quantity of sleep, but also the quality of, quality of the sleep that you need to put into our vehicles that really makes it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we as we age, uh, we we tend to acquire a lot of. I guess baggage is that a good word? That's absolutely a good word. Yep. <laughs> um, so we acquire more health issues. There's stressors. Um, there's job uh, responsibilities, and and for some people that involves traveling and and jet lag goes with that as well. And basically, we just have a much more complicated, busy life. But really, I would say, in addition to what I call family and societal pressures, our bodies also change, and um, we see. Uh, typically uh, changes in not just the architecture of the sleep, but also changes in the hormonal composition of our bodies. Um, Focusing on women, um, as women reach the magical number of 40 and beyond, Mm -hmm. uh, you can see sleeping difficulties. um, It's a major symptom of menopausal transition. And uh, almost a quarter of patients uh, or a quarter of women that are in the age of 40 to 59 have trouble falling or staying asleep. Mm-hmm. And about 50% of perimenopausal women will have trouble getting, um, getting adequate sleep and will wake up feeling tired. And, and with that comes a lot of issues with that at night. Um, we start to get what we call vasomotor symptoms like night sweating and uh, um, hormonal fluctuations. In fact, as we, as, as, as women age, they, the amount of estrogen and progesterone that their ovaries secrete 
decreases. Mm-hmm. And progesterone is a is very much protects a younger woman from other things that happen later in life, uh, such as sleep apnea, which we can talk about, um, snoring. And um, progesterone also has a bit of a hypnotic and stress-relieving effect as well. And in men too, you know, they, they see reduction in testosterone and the things that come with that as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's a whole variety of things. <laughs> a whole slew of things. Yeah, it's funny. Some people, some of us, it's, I can't fall asleep. And in my case, it's, it's staying asleep. You know, I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and just be like, boom, wide awake. You know, it's because, and I can, I can tell it's happening because I feel my brain revving up, you know, and it's, it's like yes. coming, waking from the dead. And it's not all the time. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I, I know I'm luckier than most or than others, I should say. Um, but it, it's definitely a topic that I know that, you know, my girlfriends and I discuss and, so how much sleep should we be getting anyway? Like what's, what's the sweet spot, not magic number here? There isn't. There. Yeah, I would, I would say, I would say uh, the magic number that, that you should be shooting for would be seven to nine hours of sleep. And um, I, I say that because uh, less than seven hours. And actually, if you sleep too much, you know, more than nine hours, uh, I think at both ends of the spectrum, they can have adverse effects on your not just sleep quality, but also on your daytime functioning as well. Really too much sleep. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, I'm sure there's very few of us that are getting too much, but what's too much. I mean, what can that do to you? I I don't know that. I don't have that problem right now. So. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I think in terms of um, excessive sleep, Uh uh, the jury's probably still a bit out on that. But um, I, I can tell you personally, and, and actually talking to a number of my patients, that if uh, you sleep too much, and again, too much, I think would be more than nine hours a night, mm-hmm. I, I oftentimes may not feel as good the next day. Okay. And there has been some literature to suggest that excessive sleep more than nine hours can actually be associated with some cardiovascular difficulties and problems as well. I was going to so, say that might be, a, uh, to me, that would be a, a sign that something could be wrong. Yeah. 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 But what do I know? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cry. I mean, that's not true. When I had, I had surgery rather recently and I was sleeping a lot, but my body was repairing itself, you know, and sort of, and as I got better that my sleep became less, you know, I didn't need it as much. So let me ask you this one with plenty of research on the dangers of undiagnosed sleep disorders and the relationship to heart disease. What are some of the common sleep disorders adults should be on the lookout for besides heart disease? Like what, what else, what else can happen if we don't get enough sleep? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, whole the, train of, I know a whole, a whole slew of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, it, with, with lack of sleep comes a whole variety of things and you're exactly right. There's a whole host of different sleep disorders that can contribute to this end result of lack of sleep. Um, some of the common ones that I see as a neurologist and as a sleep physician in my clinic, and I also go to hospitals, by the way, so mm-hmm. in the hospital setting as well, probably I would say the, I call it the 800-pound gorilla is going to be insomnia. Um, and uh, it's much more uh, common in women, I think, than, than, than in men. I think statistics have borne this out as well. And you mm-hmm. can see when somebody has insomnia, there's a lot of other uh, issues that sort of accompany that, uh, you that, that person may not actually present to me as an insomniac in the clinic, but may have comorbid conditions such as depression and other types of mood disorders. They, 
they, as a neurologist, they may come to see me for their memory difficulties. And actually, as you start to drill down, you find out that oh, interesting. They're, they're just not sleeping well. You know, one of the things you have to really understand about sleep, um, if you were to put it in a nutshell, you know, sleep is a time during that 24-hour period where your brain needs time to consolidate things. I tell my patients, it's a lot like during the day, you're collecting all this information. You have all these pieces of paper. You need some time to file them away in the file cabinet. And that's mm-hmm. what sleep is. So if you don't have that time, then you're, it's going to affect your memory. Um, and then a lot of, you know, insomnia is also associated with a lot of nocturnal awakenings. These individuals will wake up often frequently during the night and that in itself can have a lot of issues. So that's insomnia. And then there's sleep apnea, which is another, another disorder, which is vastly underdiagnosed. Um, and, uh, okay, that, explain that and, a bit more. I, I'm, I, I think I know what that is, but you know, yeah. Please. So, so, so sleep apnea is a condition where individuals have trouble breathing. So the typical person, um, actually it's, it's very interesting. A lot of the, the men I see in my clinic that come to see me with sleep apnea have basically been forced to go there by their, by their wife or their significant other. And, uh, and typically it presents with loud snoring and, um, these individuals will have trouble breathing in their sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell my, I tell my patients to picture their airway much like a flexible tube. And as the tube starts to relax, as you get, as you go into sleep, the air has to, re- has to go in and out and it starts to reverberate. That's the snore. Mm-hmm. And then when the tube collapses, that's the apnea. That's where the person chokes and gags and coughs and then wakes up. Um, and the, the end result of that is, is we're just learning, we're learning more and more about how it can affect the heart. It can affect the blood pressure mood. And then we see a lot of results in the daytime. These are people that can't stay awake. They fall asleep very frequently. You know, one thing for your listeners to kind of, uh, Google if they, if they like to do this, uh, is something called the Epworth sleepiness scale. Um, and you can Google that, just put Epworth. That's E-P-W-O-R-T-H, Epworth Sleepiness Scale. I was just uh, going to ask you how to spell that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, that's a gauge. We use it all the time in our clinics to gauge how sleepy a person is. And if you're over a 10, if you score over a 10, that's abnormal. If you're over a 16, you've got problems. And if you're a 24, you're a walking zombie. Um, right. And so that... That is a very important tool we use in our clinic because uh, if somebody is very sleepy, we got to then find out why are they sleepy. And uh, if you have a risk factors for sleep apnea, that's such as being overweight, having a large neck, um, these are individuals that can be um, uh, have higher risk for sleep apnea. And uh, sleep apnea in itself, I don't know if you've reviewed this in any of your prior podcasts, but um, has a whole host of associated problems that come with it, and not just in terms of the heart, but I also see people that um, in the hospital setting have strokes that are indirectly due to sleep apnea. Um, the sleep wow. apnea can cause tremendous strain on the heart, and then that can cause the heart to fail. When it fails, blood clots can form, and those blood clots can go to the head in a condition called atrial fibrillation. Yep. yep. And that can cause very big strokes. So, yeah, wow. so there's a lot, a lot of things that can happen with that. And then, the other, the other disorder I would say to be very aware of as well is uh, something called restless legs. You may have, I don't know if yes. you've heard of that yes. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a condition we'll see where individuals, um, it's usually in the evening time. It's very much tied to what I call, we call their, their circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. 
And in the evening time, the individual will have a tendency to want to move their legs. Sometimes it doesn't present that clear cut. Sometimes in the clinic, the patient's coming coming to me for their leg pain. But when I talk to them, it's really, their legs are very restless. And so they have to get up and move. And when they move, they feel better. But when they stop, they don't. Um, And that's a very typical symptom of restless legs. And if you have any of your listeners that have that condition, I always tell my patients, one thing you want to make sure you get checked is your iron levels. Uh, Because low, yeah, low iron can actually be a symptom uh, or actually not a symptom, but at low iron can be a cause of restless leg syndrome. And um, I had an individual in my clinic many years ago who presented to me with restless legs. And I like to tell my patients this story, but um, I checked their iron level was very low and I sent them back to their primary care doctor to get checked, you know, why is their iron level low? Well, it turned out she, this person had early colon cancer. So that was causing um, the low irons. And so luckily we were able to catch the colon cancer quite early and, and get that addressed. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. So sleep so sleep can be a primary problem, but sometimes uh, the sleep disorders can be a manifestation Manifest- of something Right, else. right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So what, um, so why are, und- I think you kind of touched on this, but why are undiagnosed sleep disorders so dangerous to your overall health? I mean, especially like yeah. your heart too. I mean, it just sounds like everything leads to the heart. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to sleep apnea where we talked about the trouble breathing. Um, and at night that puts a, actually a very tremendous strain on the heart. And let me explain what I mean. Um, when you have sleep apnea and you have that snoring, um, and if you, uh, stop breathing, your body has this built-in mechanism to wake you up, say, Mm -hmm. Hey, wake up. You got to start breathing. But when that happens, your blood pressure and your heart rate just shoot up, they spike. Uh-huh. And, and a person we see in the clinic, we actually, when we uh, see somebody that we suspect has sleep apnea, we order a sleep study. And that sleep study tells us a whole host of things. It tells us how quickly the person falls asleep. It tells us what their sleep stages are like. It tells us if they stop breathing, et cetera, et cetera. And um, in that study, what we'll see is something called arousals. So when that person arouses from their sleep, we can see it in their brainwaves. We look at the brainwaves, we can kind of tell if they're arousing or not. Uh, the reason that's important is because when you ask a patient if they've woken up, they'll tell you oftentimes no. But right. we see in the lab, their brain is waking up, but not their body. Right. Um, and this is so important because every time you wake up, your blood pressure and heart rate shoot up. And I tell my patients, it's literally like somebody taking a bullwhip to your heart and your brain multiple times a night. So we have patients in our clinic. I saw somebody yesterday, in fact, mm-hmm. who on the average would stop breathing 140 times an hour. Oh my gosh. Very, yeah, very, very severe sleep apnea. And we calculate a number, it's called an AHI. And that number is the, is what the, the sleep apnea or the sleep test will calculate. And so if you're a zero to five, we call that normal. Um, a five to 15 is mild. 15 to 30 is moderate. Anything over 30, we call severe. And what that number means, that let's say you're a 20, for example, that's telling me as a sleep doctor that 20 times per hour, you either stop breathing or your breathing gets shallow. We call that a hypopnea. Mm-hmm. And there's been many studies to show that, you know, if you increase that number, you increase the chances of having a bad outcome as well. And so we typically will treat those individuals with something called CPAP. Your yes, I've heard of sure CPAP. Yep. Yeah. But maybe others have not. Okay. Yeah. And it's basically just a, 
it's basically an air splint. I remember I told you earlier about how the tube wants to collapse. Yep. Well, this, uh, this device, CPAP, basically is air that keeps the airway open. It acts like a splint to keep it open during the night. And it can take that number that's 20 or 30, and we can get it down to zero in a lot of patients. So it's really very effective. So, so this person you saw yesterday was off the charts. Yeah, they were off the charts. Yeah, yeah wow. it was a and and this this was a very big person. This was a okay. person who had a body mass index, I think, of fifty or sixty. So you know, um, anything over forty, you start getting into um, <clears throat> into a range where uh, you could be a candidate for gastric bypass. You know, so that if that will put things in perspective for you. Got it. Um, <clears throat> How frightening. Wow. Yeah. So. So those are, you know, you get this tremendous effects on the heart. Right. And, and you can get a condition called atrial fibrillation. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, I have because my father had it. Yes, I have. Yeah. So in fact, if you go to a cardiologist and you have atrial fibrillation, uh, one of the things they're going to do more than likely is get a sleep study on you. And, um, and because it's a very, because if you have sleep apnea and you can control that, then there's a better chance that they're going to control the atrial fibrillation. Yeah, and we we pay so much attention to atrial fibrillation, especially as neurologists, because we unfortunately see the end result, which is which are devastating strokes. I mean, these are what I call the nuclear bomb strokes, where they uh, the strokes will take out half of a brain, and the person is permanently disabled. Mm-hmm. So anything we can do to try to prevent that from happening is 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 very good. Um, <clears throat> the um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the other, the other things that can happen uh, with sleep apnea, if you leave it untreated, it, 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 and your, your uh, listeners can actually go on the web and sort of Google this, but Google consequences of untreated sleep apnea or something of that nature. But they're just, they're, they're endless. Um, not, and not just in addition to stroke, but you can develop hypertension that becomes very resistant to medications. You develop wow. heart failure, arrhythmias, uh, sexual dysfunction. Um, Nocturia, where you have to get up at night and urinate a lot. Um, your uh, legs can uh, move a lot in their sleep. In fact, some of the severe forms of sleep apnea, you have a 65% greater risk of developing cancer. Um, you can also have wow. trouble. Yeah, if you have diabetes, you're going to have more trouble regulating your diabetes. And then, and then there's obesity. If you're having trouble losing weight, you know, look at sleep because during sleep, you actually secrete. Uh, hormones during the night. That's one of the things that's important in sleep is that not is that it's a time during the during the 24-hour period where certain hormones get secreted and they're not they're not secreted in the daytime. Mm-hmm. But there's two uh, hormones. One's called ghrelin. The other one's called leptin. Uh, ghrelin is G H R E L I N, and leptin is L E P T I N. Ghrelin is sort of the bad hormone. So if you have sleep apnea and you're and you you're not uh, breathing well at night, the ghrelin levels kind of go up. And the reason that's important is because ghrelin has been linked to having a, a craving for starchy sweet foods okay. <laughs> and all right. uh, and and all the bad stuff. And and leptin is more the good hormone that helps you lose weight. So you have these hormonal changes as well. And then the other thing I want to tell you about with sleep apnea is that it can also be associated with chronic pain conditions and you know up to 80 percent of patients with um sleep disorders can have conditions such as fibromyalgia it's not just sleep apnea but we see patients with fibromyalgia that have very poor sleep uh they they have frequent sleep interruptions um 
So there's a lot of issues when it comes to the heart wow. and also the blood pressure. In fact, have you ever heard of this term dipping? I don't know if you ever heard of this, no. but during the night, your blood pressure actually drops about 10 to 20% when you go to sleep. We call that nocturnal dipping. Okay. And um, if you wake up a lot at night and you don't allow your body to kind of dip and have this time during the 24-hour period where your blood pressure can take a rest, then again, you have an increased risk of stroke mm -hmm. and heart attacking and also kidney problems. So, um, so anyway, those, those are some of the, I can go on and on, but there's, wow. those are some of the, yeah, some of the things that can actually occur no. when you is sleep is, is snoring then like let's talk about sleep apnea how do you is it is the sign snoring or you wake up choking i mean like what what are some signs that you might let, let's say somebody lives by themselves or whatever and they don't you know somebody you know saying hey you're snoring all night you know? yeah yeah so i think one of the one of the hallmarks of sleep apnea is daytime sleepiness right so if you're okay. not getting adequate sleep or quality sleep if you're not putting that quality fuel into the gas tank, then you're going to sort of pay for it the next day. And, uh, and one of the ways that we, that, that one of the most common symptoms, again, we see is daytime sleepiness. So a person has trouble staying asleep. And in fact, if we back up a little bit, they, they have what we call non-restorative sleep. So when they get up in the morning, these are the people that feel draggy. They feel like they could go back to bed and sleep another two or three hours or four hours or whatever. And if they do make it out of bed, then they want to take naps in the daytime. Um, so that is a, that's a condition where, where I would say the number one thing I'm looking for is sleepiness. But not everybody that has sleep apnea has sleepiness. You know, we, ha we see some people that have sleep apnea that, that don't have that daytime sleepiness. Um, I personally think that a lot of that is tied to actually your oxygen levels, that um, if your oxygen levels are dipping during the night, uh, which happens when you have sleep apnea, that can oftentimes um, have consequences in the daytime. Um, one thing I do want to point out too, uh, Lauren, is when I see patients with sleep apnea, I do have a certain percentage of patients that refuse to use CPAP. They don't want to use it. They don't want the device on their face, et cetera, et cetera. Or I have some patients that actually use it and don't feel better. Okay. One point one point I try to make to everybody with CPAP is that when you put that mask on your face, if you have sleep apnea, you're basically protecting your brain and your heart. That's what it's doing. Um, and uh, it's no different than aspirin. You know, people that take aspirin, they don't feel any different, but we know that it's actually protecting their brain and the heart when they're, when they're using it. Do you think that they um, don't want to use it because they're embarrassed or, or, or what? The, scared? The, uh, yeah, there's a whole host of different okay. reasons. Some people very much have this sort of, um, they, they have a claustrophobia with a mask on okay, their face. Sure. Some people, it's an inconvenience, an issue. Um, so there's a whole host of reasons. Some people feel that, again, it's not benefiting them, but those are the ones, again, I try to educate. So Well, they don't know because they're sleeping <laughs> or That's not right. sleeping. That's right. That's <laughs> right. right. So going back to your question again about uh, what, how do you recognize that? So, right. so daytime sleepiness is one way to look at it. Um, also if they wake up with certain symptoms, like if they wake up with a headache, if they wake up with a dry mouth, um, these could be, these could be potential signs that they're, that they're, um, that they have this condition. Um, and also if we see the secondary effects, in other words, heart failure, like I mentioned earlier, if you have atrial fibrillation, there's a good, then maybe there's a chance you may have uh, sleep apnea. Um, so that's, that's, those are individuals we'd want to, uh, make sure we particularly check it with a sleep study. 
Jeez, now I'm thinking my dad probably had it. That's crazy. Yeah, like I said, it's it's undiagnosed. It's, yeah. yeah, it's 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 really un, undiagnosed. Um uh tremendous amount of, of individuals are not are walking around with it and 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 don't realize they have it, or maybe they do have it, realize it and they just are in denial. So Wow, um, that's kind of crazy. In fact, I've I, I have seen I have seen statistics that say that almost 30, 40% of males and 17, that's 15 to 20% of females have it. And almost 80% of the moderate to severe cases may go undiagnosed. So Whoa. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very common uh, condition that's just uh, under, under diagnosed a lot. But, um, you know, I was just going to ask you how I, cause I hear about it more in men and you just, you just told us what the, I mean, like what the percentages were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But women um, can, I, can have it obviously. Yeah, women have it, and I would say the number one risk factor is going to be obesity again. Okay. And um, uh, that's a very common cause. You know, for every 10%, every time, for every 10% increase in your body weight, that you increase your risk of sleep apnea about six times. So it's, oh, uh, so little, 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 those few pounds do matter. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I guess that would lead me to my next question then. So what are your best tips to manage sleep disorders and how to keep yourself healthy? You know, like what can yeah. we do? Yeah, so I think a lot of that depends on the type of sleep, uh, the sleep disorder you have. So let's go back to, for example, the insomniac. Um, that's a very common sleep disorder I see in my clinic, and one of the 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 foundation. So when we're building a house, we have to lay the foundation. the The foundation for treating insomnia is what we call sleep hygiene. I don't know if you ever heard of this. No. Um, so if you Google again, sleep hygiene and maybe I'm writing these all down, I'm going to Google all of them. <laughs> yes. So if you Google the word sleep hygiene and maybe put PDF, you can, you can get a printed version of this. But um, in a nutshell, just like when you get up in the morning, pretty much everybody has some sort of routine, I would imagine, when you get up in the morning. But not a lot of us have a routine when we go to bed. And what sleep hygiene is, it's a set of principles. I call them the 10 commandments or 15 commandments, how many how many either it depends on which you know person's sheet you're looking at mm-hmm. um but these are a set of principles that everybody should be doing before they go to bed if they want to ensure a good night's sleep you know for example number one you should have a routine right you should go to the bed you should go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every day even on the weekends um you should do that yeah um, we see a lot of patients that insomniacs who worry about sleep they they lay in bed and then they worry they're not going to get yeah i i can i was going to ask about that because like the sometimes when i wake up i find myself like freaking myself like doing a head game with myself that if you don't go to sleep now you're not you know like you start messing with your head your own head i got it. that's right yeah yeah so there's so really the the issue there is if you if you're laying in bed and i'd say more than 20 minutes and you haven't been able to sleep get up get out of bed and, and really only lie in bed when you start to feel sleepy. Um, you should be avoiding caffeine and nicotine. Um, you know, as we, there's, there were two drivers of our sleep at night. The most powerful drivers are circadian rhythm. And uh, that's regulated by light. It's especially sunlight. Um, and certain types of light, like blue lights and electronics. I knew where you were going with us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. But they could be bad light. Right. You know? so you like your phone or your, 
your yes, iPad yes. or your computer. Yes. Exactly right. Don't exactly be dragging right. those into bed with you is what you're going to say. Right. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they, they can be counterproductive. Um, so light is a very major driver of sleep, the circadian rhythm. And the other thing that happens as we stay, as we, the longer we stay awake, there's a chemical in your body called adenosine that starts to build up. And as it builds up, it starts to make you sleepier and sleepier. Well, you can block that chemical uh, with something called caffeine. Mm -hmm. Caffeine blocks it. So it's good to avoid caffeine because you want your adenosine because it helps you put you to sleep. So you want to try to avoid caffeine. You want to try to avoid nicotine. Wait, caffeine um, all the time or just not past the morning? I mean, hello. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I, no, no, no. It, in the evening. So oh, like, okay. I, okay. I Let's say, clarify. I need my cup of coffee. Yes. In the yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not that cruel. Okay. Thank you. I was like, what? <laughs> So at least four to six hours before going to bed, I would say avoid that stuff. You know, mm. Cigarettes. You should be. Should, well, I, listen, I wasn't. Yeah, we shouldn't be smoking. But we, that's anytime. right. I was going to say your listeners right. shouldn't be using cigarettes anyway. Correct. So I, that's a whole other. We're. Podcast, we're I'm assuming. I'm assuming <laughs> that we all know that that's not good for you. Yes. At yes. this point in our lives, in the year 2021, we should all know that that nicotine is not good. Okay. I'm just no. assuming people already know that, but. Right. And um, alcohol, I don't like alcohol. Alcohol is a very, some, I, have, I have some patients that use it to help them sleep. It's a very poor sleep aid because it, 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 it's great for putting you to sleep, but it, but it wears off very fast. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so it can interrupt the quality of your sleep. Wait, 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 hold um, on. Are you saying we shouldn't drink at all? Wait, wait, hold on a second. Yep. Come on. Can't take away all of our, all of our joy. No? <laughs> oh. Well. Okay, you didn't take away coffee, but come on, alcohol? No. None? take that away. No, I wouldn't say none. Okay. I begin, again, I'm talking, and really these are, this is, these comments are directed really towards, towards sleep. That, I got it. I know. That are, that are, have tried all the other stuff. If you want to start eliminating things, I would start targeting alcohol, but. Got uh, it. Understood. Understood. Alcohol is a lot of it. You know, as a neurologist, I would say alcohol has a lot of other issues that I deal with. Um, it can interact with medications and so forth that I use. So um, right now, I I, I think a glass that. of wine is good. But I mean, if you're having to use alcohol to wake up in the morning and go to bed, I mean, you may have to talk to somebody about. Well, that, yeah, so. if you're drinking first thing when you wake up in the morning, that's <laughs> probably a problem. Yes. Now, yes. I'm pretty. I mean, yes, this is a judgment-free zone. However, I, I understand. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> it's probably a bigger and problem. The, uh, right. And then some of the other things that are important are bed, making sure that bed is uh, only used for sleeping and sex, and that's about it. You know, you don't want to be using it for your dinner and your laptop and all that other stuff. Um, don't live people, in your bed. Yes, don't okay. live in your bed. I mean, you want to you want to mentally associate a bed with really those two things. And then um, napping, it's good to avoid napping because napping. Every time you nap in the daytime, remember I told you about that adenosine that builds up. You kind of start to deplete it. Um, if you do take naps, I would recommend no more than 15 to 20 minutes and try to limit them, you know, to earlier in the evening or, or daytime. Okay. Um, and um, uh, <clears throat> try to avoid watching the clock. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of insomniacs do that. Um, um, and in eating, eating is very important. You know, eating, a, uh, eating the right foods, maybe even, even foods that are high in tryptophan, for example, um, Avocado, maybe some nut butters, things like that uh, can be maybe sleep-inducing as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, these are some of the, uh, I'm just kind of touching on some of the important points with sleep hygiene. And and I think that uh, if your readers, or your readers, if your listeners Google this term sleep hygiene, they can learn a lot more. Oh, I'm totally going to be. I'll, I'll put a link with it too. 
on when we when we post this. Um, you know, I'll find some because I find I find this all super fascinating because I mean, a lot of what you said didn't surprise me, i.e. that, you know, not sleeping well can lead to a whole host of health problems. But I think the sleep apnea was, you know, very eye opening. Um, yeah, that, you know, so many people are walking around with it undiagnosed and that what that can cause, you know, I wasn't aware of that so much. I mean, I know what it is, but, it, you know, you're like, oh, that's not me. You know, I don't have that problem. It is a um, it is so important, in fact, that <clears throat> all the truck drivers have to get um, surveyed for that uh, when they get their commercial driver's license. Wow. Um, so that's a that's a very important thing. If they have sleep apnea, uh, they have to get there's a there's a something called a download. So if you have a CPAP machine, the CPAP machines can give me a printout and they can tell me not only how well your number is. Remember that number I told you earlier yes. it has to be we want to get under five. It can tell me not only that, but it can also tell me uh, how often they're using it. Oh wow. um, Okay. And so the the trucking companies, you know, I, if they don't have good reports on their, I call it a report card. If they don't have a good report card on their CPAP. They may pull them from their driving, you know, um, assignments. Interesting. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, it's very important. It's, uh, you know, it, it leads to daytime sleepiness, as I mentioned earlier. And then it, that's that very dangerous, impl- right? Especially yeah. for a truck driver. Correct. Exactly. It's been implicated. Or any kind of, of driver. <laughs> Anybody right. that drives. <laughs> but a pet. That's right. Right. And pe- people have done studies looking at lost productivity because of this. And so it's, it's, it's far reaching. Wow. You know, it's funny. I was, I was okay about sleep and then I spoke to you and now I'm all freaked out. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but no, it's, this has been fascinating. Anything else you'd like to add? Like what, what else should we know? Like, is there anything else you want us to know about sleep? I mean, it's interesting because of all the, all the podcasts I do, I'm starting to like know what, what and certain where certain speakers are starting to go. And like, it's funny. I know, like, I know what you're going to say. Because I've heard it before. They all kind of weave together, which is good, yes. which is good. This means that yes. everybody's like, I don't just mean on the same page, but there's obviously something to be said for everything. Whatever, it all weaves together. And again, it makes us healthier, which if we listen to all of the different things that we learn in these various podcasts, hopefully help us, you know, uh, lead a better life, but also intentionally age better, which to me is really important. So are you saying, so let me get this. What if somebody has an inkling, like now that they've listened, they're like, well, maybe I do have a sleep apnea. What should they do? What, what should they do? Yeah. So if, if you do, if they have some of the symptoms, right. if they, um, if they have the sleepiness, et cetera, and especially, you know, this is the big thing with sleep apnea is not just sleep apnea, sleep disorders, let's say, mm-hmm. um, is that they interfere with functioning, right? So if you wanna if you wanna be able to live a productive, happy, healthy life, um, you've got to get the sleep disorder treated or addressed in some way. And the best person to do that is going to be a sleep physician. I would, and you could just start basically with your primary care doctor, letting them know I'm concerned that I may have this or that. And if they feel it kind of goes beyond their level of expertise, they should be able to facilitate an evaluation by sleep disorder specialists. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine, if you Google that site, that's uh-huh. the—that's sort of like the home of where sleep disorder specialists reside, so to speak. 
uh, they, they, I'm pretty sure they have a site in there where they basically can, um, you can find if there's and what a sleep was that again? special. Just so uh, American Academy of Sleep Medicine, AASM. And uh, I think they have an area on their website. I may be mistaken, but I think they have an area on their website where you can locate a local sleep disorder specialist. In your area. Okay. Yeah, great. in your area. Right. Awesome. And, um, and by the way, you know, I, I, I am a neurologist and I, and I see sleep patients. I don't just do sleep. You know, so sleep is part of, of, of the fabric of the other disorders that I treat. So as, an, as a neurologist, I'm treating stroke, I'm treating epilepsy, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you know, I can go on and on. Right. And, and believe it or not, and this is one of the reasons that uh, early on I developed such an interest in sleep and, and moved to sort of get certified in sleep it's, uh, as well, is that I found time and time again that in some way, shape, or form sleep is involved yep. in every one of these person's lives. It all comes back to sleep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. or it's it's a two way street. You know, either sleep's causing symptoms, or the symptoms are causing, or right, the disorders right. causing sleep problems. You know, for example, one other uh, things. Other, I, I don't want to leave your your listeners with the impression that sleep apnea and insomnia are the only sleep disorders. There are other things that are very important as well. Um, we mentioned restless legs. Right. Uh, there's something called narcolepsy, which uh, yep. individuals may have heard about, and. Um, in fact, if I see somebody who is very sleepy and their sleep study is normal, then I'm going to start thinking about narcolepsy in that individual. Um, there's a condition called REM behavioral disorder. This is usually in elder people that um, this is a condition where people will start in their sleep. They'll start fighting and kicking and punching. Um, and oftentimes the bed partner gets injured or may have to sleep in another room. Um, and this can sometimes be a harbinger of a more ominous disorder down the road, such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Right. Um, it's called REM behavioral disorder. And then there's sleep talking, sleep walking, you can go on and on. And and again, the person that's probably best suited for, for, for being the home base for taking care of the vast array of different sleep disorders is going to be a sleep specialist. Wow. Whoa. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Wow. And and I think we're just starting to learn more. You know, here you haven't even talked about COVID. <laughs> yeah. And and I can tell you, it's amazing in my clinic. I'm I'm uh, in, in the hospital setting as well. We see lots of patients with I see patients with COVID in the hospital, and they'll many of them have vascular problems like stroke, for example. But then there's also other issues that we're seeing. Um, we call it COVID somnia, right? Rather than insomnia, it's COVID somnia. Uh, individuals that? That, that will have COVID and then afterwards they have this uh, long COVID syndrome where they may have trouble sleeping, have pain, have a lot of other issues as well. And oh. I, I've always, I've, I've commented to my colleagues that I really feel that it's sort of the next tsunami that's going to hit us because I'm starting to see these people creep into my clinic. And I oh, think boy. it's sort of like the waves are starting to lap up onto the shore and the tidal wave is yet to hit. But um, So these but, are people uh, that have had COVID? That, yeah, that have this had is like COVID. the long haulers or is this just... Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, and, they, and, and they develop a whole host of different uh, symptoms with that. Well, so, yeah. Um, I mean... That's another... Yeah. That's another scary area. I think that... Yes. Yeah. I think it's going to be a few years before we really see... The full impact. The full impact, and and many and and many aspects, not just sleep, mental, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. know, and you know, one and one one particular group that I have 
really sort of appreciated this in is um, my elderly population uh, mm-hmm. who are, have now become socially isolated. You know, many of them have really depended on social interaction as one way to keep their brain sharp. And yeah. I encourage that actually for my individuals, for, for my older crowd. And uh, the fact they're socially isolated now and they're not able to, I don't know, go to McDonald's to meet their usual crowd at Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. to chat. Um, there's been a lot of issues with that, you know, and they haven't been able to exercise and on and on. So I don't know what's worse if it's COVID or the, or the fear of COVID. Yeah, I know. It's it's so interesting. I I ran into a, 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 someone I haven't seen in a long time today at the drugstore and, you know, she mentioned that's what happened to her grandmother, you know, just, just, this is, it's just really tough. And she, I think she just was like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm sure there are other people, you know? Yes. That yes. it's just too much. You know, this is all they have. It's sad. It's really sad. But anyway, we could go on about that. But any, I'm, I think that, yes, we're going to see the long-term effects of this pandemic way longer. But now that we're starting to come out of it, and I'm sure also the stress of COVID is not helping with sleep as well, even people that haven't had it, just the stress that comes with everything else. You know? Correct. Yeah. 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 I, know that I've lo- I know I've lost some sleep over it, so. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing um, and, and terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, no. I, I, really, I really enjoyed the opportunity to, uh, to chat about it. Um, and uh, No, this is what I'll we just... do. I like to explore everything that affects, <laughs> affects us as we age. And knowing it, I think, you know, being, having the knowledge about it and talking about it helps us, you know, figure out what may be going wrong or at least ask the questions and then seek out the help that we need to make sure that we're okay. Because you're right, not sleeping could be the sign of something else going on that's much bigger. And yep. something that something that can be helped and fixed and taken care of and, you know, within our control. You know, so that is something that I I really hope that if we if we reached one person to go ask their doctor or say, hey, I might have sleep apnea, then I'm happy. <laughs> you know? then I'll be happy. So thank you so much. Yeah, think of, think of sleep as your, you know, it can be in many ways you're canary in the coal mine, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been very informative. Okay, everyone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. It helps us out a lot. And I have a new pro aging podcast weekly. So please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thanks. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.